Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. And in the Bibles around you, that's on page 811. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come today, we come remembering the words of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he encouraged us to build our lives on his words, to not be like the foolish man who built his house upon sand and then it crumbled, but rather that we are to build our lives upon rock, on the words of Jesus Christ on his kingdom. And so I ask, Lord, that that you would help us do that today, that that we would build our lives upon your words, O Christ, and that your kingdom would come, both now, but then that you would hasten the day when your kingdom of glory would just come so soon. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you marry me? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good. Well, it's a that's a it's a short phrase, right? We we've all heard that phrase, right? It's a short for short phrase, traditional phrase spoken by many people over the years. And and even though even though it's it's just this little short phrase and even though it's traditional and a lot of people say it, it is packed with tons of meaning, right? It means far more than, oh, hey, do you want to do a wedding ceremony with me? I'll be the groom, you be the bride. It means way more than that. It really means everything. It means knitting your whole life together. Every single aspect of it with another person. It means sharing finances and debt. It means often raising children together and all that that entails. It means sharing the same bed, the same food, the same friends, the same car, and sometimes the same toothbrush. Oh, that's happened to me. It means going on trips together, exploring hobbies together. Uh, it, it, it It means maybe sometimes moving to a new location together, buying a new house together. It can mean learning together, getting each other sick, Creating inside jokes with one another and arguing with one another, right? 
It means crying together, waiting together, being disappointed together. Now, I just could go on and on and just fill in the meaning of, the, of, of, of what it means when someone asks you, will you marry me? It just means knitting together all of your life together in so many endless, just an endless amount of ways together. Now, this short phrase is, is it's really similar to this phrase here, the, the phrase, your kingdom come. It too is short and traditional, you could say. It's, it's spoken by many people for years and years, and for, you know, two millennia. And it too is packed with meaning. And there's so much significance in these three words that it just can't be captured in one sermon. I mean, this sermon is going to be a disappointment. We'll just, just scratch the surface. I mean, one sermon can't do it, and one, one book can't do it, and, 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 and all the books of the world just can't fully uh, write the significance of what it means for the Lord's kingdom to come. A few weeks ago, my wife and I, we got to fly out to Washington State. And uh, on our way, we flew over uh, the Cascade Mountains. And we got to, eventually, we got to drive up and uh, climb around Mount Rainier up there. And uh, it's, just, just, it's just absolutely gorgeous. But that was just one mountain. That was just, that's just one part of that one mountain. And the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's, it's like a mountain range that we fly over every single week. And, and each word in the Lord's Prayer, it's like, it's like its own mountain. Each week we get a quick flyover of something just so huge and significant, something that's so rich with meaning, uh, that, that, that's just waiting for uh, us to explore and, and, and to live out. The Lord's Prayer is vast with application for our lives, even beyond just the simple instruction for how we are to pray. These words are not just to be our words when we pray, they're also to be our heart's priorities. They're a summary of what we live for and how God will provide for us as we live. When we prayed uh, with a genuine heart, your kingdom come, I mean, that, that prayer, that's a completely life-changing prayer. And for those of us who pray weekly, it's a prayer that weekly reorients our world back onto its center. Because we just have a natural, regular, daily tendency of drifting from living for God's kingdom and, 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 and instead living for our own kingdom. Several months ago, our youth group, we went through a series on prayer. And so we spent a few weeks on the Lord's Prayer. I shared with them that my goal in studying the Lord's Prayer uh, was to fill the Lord's Prayer with tons of meaning so that every line and every word meant something significant to them. And that these requests would become the core prayer requests of their lives for the rest of their lives. And that's the same goal and prayer that I have for our church. May this prayer just be filled with meaning for each of you. And, and may every line and every word have significance and depth and richness. And may these prayer requests become your core desires and requests of your heart for the rest of your days. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so let's review a few things about it. 
Um, as you know, I'm sure it's, it's structured with six petitions or six prayer requests. The first three are petitions for God's priorities to be done. And then the last three are petitions or requests for our provisions to be met. So God's priorities followed by our provisions. And that order is really important. The prayer starts with what's most important in all of the universe. That God's name would be hallowed. That God's name would be glorified. That's what's most important. And then the next two petitions uh, flow from that because those are the means by which God's name is hallowed. It's, It's that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. This order is significant because once we've centered our lives on what's most important, on on God's name being hallowed, on His kingdom coming, on His will being done, once we've centered ourselves, our lives there on those purposes, then it's at that point then that we begin to see ourselves differently. We begin to see ourselves rightly. We begin to see ourselves for what we were created for. And we begin to see what we actually truly need. And so then, flowing into asking for what we want the Lord to provide for us, that gets really narrowed down. It gets more specific. Before any of these six petitions, though, the the Lord's uh, prayer starts uh, with the phrase, Our Father in Heaven, as you know. And, And this, too, is huge. It's huge that it starts this way. Because the gospel is embedded in that phrase, our Father who art in heaven. Because to pray our Father, it means that you've been adopted. It, it presupposes that you have a, have, a, have a right relationship to God, that you don't relate to Him just as your judge or just as a deity, but rather that you relate to Him as your Father. Everything's okay in your relationship with Him. You've been reconciled. And that can only happen through faith in Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we become adopted as God's sons and daughters, and we are saved from our sins. So that's a little bit of the structure of, of the Lord's Prayer. And so, now, why, why do we pray the Lord's Prayer uh, together at church? Right, is it just because, well, you know, it's what we always do, it's tradition, it makes me feel good? You know, what, what, why do we do it? Well, one reason why we pray this prayer together is just simply because the first word in the prayer says, Our. Our, Father. It's to be prayed with other people. It's not just in the singular, it's in the plural. Our, Father. And that's what the Christian church has done historically for the last two millennia. I mean, um, some of the earliest Christian writings, like the Didache and writings from Tertullian and and Cyprian, show that uh, praying the Lord's Prayer was a normal part of the lives of early Christians. So Christ is instructing us to ensure that we pray with each other. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we, we aren't just praying with each other, we're also praying it for each other. We're praying it for each other. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. 
I know I myself, I, I personally have this tendency that when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about, you know, Lord, you provide for my daily bread. You know, lead me not into temptation. Forgive me of my debts. And deliver me from evil. And seeing this language in the plural, it's, it's encouraging me to create a new habit as we pray the Lord's Prayer, to, to think about you all. To, to think about you specifically, to pray uh, for, for the Lord's will to be done in these, in these ways, for His provision for you, and not just for me and my family. Alright, so now, now that we've reviewed the, the structure and we've considered at least one reason why we should pray it together, let's consider the, the prayer's uh, second petition. Your kingdom come. We'll look at each one of those three words one at a time. I mean, and we're only going to scratch the surface of it. I mean, each one of those words is a mountain in and of itself. It's full of meaning and significance. So let's first consider the word kingdom, the middle word. What is the kingdom of God, according to this context? And what is it not? So we'll first look at what it is. And then, uh, and then, and then, uh, look at what it's not. We'll spend the bulk of our time this morning thinking about this particular word, and then at the end we'll briefly touch on the other two words. The theme of kingdom is one of the most uh, significant themes in the entire Bible. It stretches from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It just comes up again and again and again. It's it's just a part of the backbone of the whole Bible. It's fascinating to see the development uh, throughout redemption, history, and of how God reigns over all and how he is establishing a kingdom on earth with his people. At creation, we see God as the sovereign creator over all things. He rules without challenge. There is no one else creating next to him. And all is made very good. And we see that he gives he gives dominion over his uh, his over his kingdom to Adam and Eve. He he gives them a stewardship of dominion uh, uh, over 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 this new creation. He uh, he he makes them in a sense uh, the the king and queen of the world. But when Adam and Eve sinned, an opposing kingdom was born, and that opposing kingdom would wage war against God's rule up to this present day. It is the kingdom of sin and of Satan. And yet this new kingdom of evil and death was unable to completely overthrow God's people and his rule over them. All throughout the Old Testament, and we're just painting with broad strokes right now, <laughs> all throughout the Old Testament, despite the pervasity of the depravity of the world and even the, the people who would call themselves God's people, we see that God still had a few people who worshipped him. And he promised to have a people for himself as numerous as the stars of the sky. A people who would have him as their God. After God redeems his people from Egypt through the Exodus, we see the birth of, 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 of an ethnic and geopolitical kingdom, Israel. We see that at Mount Sinai. But as we all know, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the number of Israelites who had faith and who followed God's rule 
uh, were very few in proportion to its size. And yet God always had a remnant of true worshipers. I think of Elijah. Elijah thought he was all alone. He thought he was the last. But God said, no, I have kept other prophets as well. You are not alone. I have a remnant. Well, when Jesus shows up, the kingdom of Israel is under Roman rule. So it, it, it has little power, and, and the Jews are longing for a king who would reestablish their sovereignty as a geopolitical nation. Now, one of the things Jesus, that Jesus teaches about most in, in, in all of his teachings, one of, the, one of the most common themes is, is, is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it may have excited the Jews that he was teaching about this, this kingdom. That may have excited them, at first at least. Uh, but as he continues to teach on the kingdom of heaven, uh, it, it doesn't quite sound like what the Jews are hoping for. I'm going to read a few of Jesus' teachings on the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to move through them fairly quickly so you don't need to turn there as we move along. Mark chapter 1, so the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus preached that there was a kingdom from God and ruled by God that was very near. Very near. And, and because it was near, people needed to prepare for it. People were going to be confronted by it. You couldn't ignore it. You needed to prepare for it. And, and, and so, so were people, were they to take up swords? Were they to rally up an army to get ready to, 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 uh, to take over Rome? No. To prepare for this kingdom... We must repent of our sin and believe in good news. Good news. So, so this is a kingdom that has entrance requirements. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, well, all the Jews for sure. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're automatically in because you're the people of God. And no, there's this entrance requirement to be sinless and holy. And now, you know, that may sound like bad news because we're all sinful and we can't get rid of our past sins and, and, and so it may seem impossible to come into this heavenly kingdom. But Jesus preached good news. And the good news was himself. The good news was that Jesus was going to make a way into the kingdom. And Jesus would be the way to this kingdom. Now, this kingdom... It, it's really not beginning to sound like a geopolitical kingdom to the Jews. So they are going to be disappointed. Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who will enter into this heavenly kingdom are humble. And they may be marked by persecution. Now, this, this is really not sounding like a typical kingdom to the Jews who were hearing Christ at his day. Matthew 13. He, Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that, that a man took and sowed in his field. 
It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Jesus describes the kingdom as something with very small beginnings. But it grows and it grows and it works its way through the earth like leaven in flour. The way Jesus describes this kingdom, it makes sense of the small beginnings we see for God's people in the Old Testament and and the small beginnings Jesus has with his twelve disciples. And how true it is to how much the kingdom has grown, right? I mean... The church has spread across the world to hundreds of millions of people across nations. But many of the Jews simply didn't understand this, or maybe they didn't even want a kingdom like this. They wanted worldly power now. They wanted victory and freedom from Rome now. They want to be freed from Rome like Israel was freed from Egypt. In Luke 17, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus answered them saying, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. It's in the midst of you. So I'm sure this dumbfounded the Pharisees. They wanted a physical kingdom with a huge army that could overthrow the Romans and any enemy that would oppose them after that. And so what kind of a kingdom is it that you can't even observe? Well, Jesus told them that this kingdom, yes, it cannot be seen. And in fact, the kingdom was already in their midst. It had begun because even though they couldn't even see it, Jesus' kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. That's the reality of it. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that was being established in the hearts of his people. He was establishing his rule on the thrones of hearts, not on the throne of Jerusalem. In John 18, Jesus makes it explicit once again that his kingdom is different. He says to Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not, might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. His kingdom was not born on earth like all the other kingdoms. It was born from heaven. It was, it was, its character was godly. Its character was holy. Its priorities were God's priorities, just way different from the world's priorities. Its goals are not to gain land and people through fighting. Rather, this kingdom would advance, first of all, through the death of its king. And the king wouldn't stay dead. So this king is unlike any other. It's not of this world. It's not from the world. 
So now, if, if this concept of the kingdom of heaven still sounds a little mysterious to you, I mean, it does still does for me, you're not alone. Uh, Jesus' own disciples didn't catch on to what his kingdom was all about until after his ascension. In Acts 1, right after Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he has this exchange with his disciples. He says, it says here, uh, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Are we going to take over the Romans now? Are we going to be independent now? Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, that's a lot different. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's 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 a lot different than what they were expecting. When when Jesus' disciples asked for earthly power, Jesus promised them heavenly power. Power when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Power to believe and know the mysteries of the gospel. Power to preach and teach the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike. Power to administer the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Power to establish the church and plant churches. Power to raise up elders and deacons. Power to heal diseases and cast out demons. Power to fight sin and resist the devil and grow in sanctification and holiness. And power to humbly take up their crosses and be persecuted. And for some of them, many of them, perhaps most of them, to die for the name of Christ. The Holy Spirit was the power they needed to build God's kingdom. And the visible church would be the chief means by which the kingdom of God would advance. The kingdom of God, yeah, it can be a little confusing to wrap our minds around. And I found the Westminster Confession of Faith to be helpful in beginning to wrap my mind around it. The Confession speaks of the kingdom of God in three ways. It speaks of the kingdom of power, the kingdom of grace, and the kingdom of glory. The kingdom of power, of grace, and of glory. So the kingdom of... Uh, these are all different ways of, of God's rule being expressed. And, and, and so these, they, they are all related. And so, so, so first there's the kingdom of power. That's God's sovereign rule over everything at all times. That's like what we read uh, from Psalm 96 uh, at the beginning of our service. The Lord reigns. He reigns over all. He has no competition. He reigns even over the kingdom of Satan. As we, uh, one example of that we know is when we read the book of Job and we see Satan having to come to God for, uh, for permission to do what he wanted to do. The kingdom of power is not what Jesus is referring to in, in the Lord's Prayer because, uh, I mean, the, the, the kingdom of power doesn't need to come. It, it just always is. So the confession, it also speaks of the kingdom of grace. The kingdom of grace. And the kingdom of grace 
is here on earth now. It is the invisible spiritual kingdom of God in the hearts of his people. The primary administration of this kingdom of grace is us. It's the visible church. That's the primary way that God, that Christ in heaven, Christ is the ruler, he's the head of the church, and he rules through, and he advances his kingdom through his church. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are in one sense praying for the advancement of this kingdom of grace on earth. For the visible church to grow and to, and to, be, to be purified and, and to be protected. The Westminster Confession also speaks of a third kingdom. The kingdom of glory. This is God's kingdom right now with the angels in heaven and with the saints who have died who are now in God's heavenly presence. And this is the kingdom that will one day come in all of its fullness in the new heavens and the new earth at Christ's second coming. And at that time, the kingdom of sin and Satan will be destroyed. Revelation 11.15 puts this in a, in a very interesting way, in a very amazing way. It says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of, this, of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The kingdom of this world will be swallowed up by the kingdom of glory. And Christ shall reign forever and ever. That is what everything is building to. That's what this kingdom, that's what this church is, is building towards. That's what all this is all about. That is the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. That is the kingdom in its full flowering when it's, when it's gone from this little mustard seed to the fullness of, of the huge tree that it will forever be. So we've, we've spent a lot of time now considering what the, the Bible says the kingdom of God is. And I hope it's getting clearer and clearer, even though it's, it's, it's still a very abstract concept in many ways. But let's now consider what it's not, what the kingdom of heaven is not. Many throughout church history have debated this, and there's plenty of debates on this today, and, and some have come to some very disastrous conclusions. First of all, uh, simply put, the, the kingdom of God is, it's not this building. It's not brick and mortar. Uh, we, we could build a ton of church buildings all around and, and, and not build the church of God at all, right? Uh, you know, we, we, you know this, this, this church could burn down, you know, may, may never be, but may, if that did happen, we'd still be the church. We'd still advance the kingdom. You know, um, you know. Obviously, we're thankful for this building. We're thankful for for that, and, and, and it's a tool that we're able to use to to advance God's kingdom. But but it, this is not the kingdom of heaven. This, the, the brick and mortar around us is not the kingdom of heaven. And secondly, the kingdom of God is not a geopolitical kingdom. Christendom was not the kingdom of God. The Holy Roman Empire was not the kingdom of God. Uh, Israel 
is not the kingdom of God. America is not the kingdom of God. There have been many Christians who, who yes, they've, they've been citizens of those nations who are also citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. But to equate citizenship in an earthly kingdom with citizenship of a heavenly kingdom is to make a grave error. The second thing the kingdom of heaven is not is the kingdom is not social and cultural change. Now, what I mean by this is I, 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 this does not mean that Christians cannot influence the society and the culture around us for good through, through, through political means, through philanthropy, through... I, I mean, I, I know so many of you work in the medical community, for instance, and, 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 and your, your vocations, everything that you do on a daily basis is, is meant to, to help people be healthy and to live better lives and, and to flourish. We should definitely love our neighbor as ourselves in, in, in so many different spheres, including our vocations. We should seek the welfare of the city that we live in. But the good we do for those around us is not the kingdom of heaven if Christ's rule is not expanded to new hearts. Let's just take homeless shelters, for instance. The homeless shelters are great. Christians should start and run and volunteer at homeless shelters. But someone sleeping in a homeless shelter has not entered into the kingdom of heaven unless they've heard the gospel and believed. Then the kingdom of God has advanced. Now, yes, yeah, homeless shelters and, and so many of these other different ways that we can help our neighbors around us, these are all ways and contexts that we can preach and, 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 and share the gospel and advance God's kingdom. But we must not confuse social and cultural change as the kingdom of heaven itself. So there's, there's just so many good things that we can do as Christians for our world around us. But may we never lose our focus that God's chief way of advancing the kingdom of heaven by His Holy Spirit is through His visible church, through the ordinary means of grace, through the reading, preaching, and teaching of God's Word, the administration of the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper, through prayer, through the discipleship of the next generation, Let's keep that as our main focus, the main mission. And, and, let's be ready to be good Samaritans. Let's initiate being good Samaritans, even to those who will not enter into the kingdom of heaven despite our best efforts. So much more could be said about this. So much more has been written and, and, and said about this. Um, but... I'm just scratching the surface, and we'll just uh, we will continue on here. So we've considered the meaning of the word kingdom, and your kingdom comes. So now let's briefly consider uh, the the next two words. Let's first consider the first word, your. When we pray, your kingdom come, it implies that there are other kingdoms, kingdoms that are opposed to God's kingdom. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for spiritual warfare. 
We are praying that God's kingdom would overcome the kingdom of Satan, now in part, and one day, completely. And how God overcomes Satan now, today, that, I mean, that could just happen in millions of different types of ways. I mean, just think about every time that you resist temptation. And there's tons of different ways that, we are, that we're tempted. Anytime you resist temptation, that is spiritual warfare. That is the kingdom of God coming in power by the Holy Spirit in your life. So your kingdom come is a spiritual, a prayer of spiritual warfare. And at the same time, we pray not just for external evil to be defeated, but also for the evil within us to be defeated. For all of our own efforts at building our own kingdoms. For those efforts that we do every single day, for those to be thwarted by God. Are you living for your own kingdom today? Why do you do what you do? What purpose do you live for? Who rules your life? Do you live only for your own pleasure and comfort? Or perhaps are you just so regularly anxious and fearful and about your own life that, that it's just it's keeping you from, from, from seeking first God's kingdom in your life? In the heart of each one of us, there's this sinful, natural desire that arises again and again that says, My kingdom come. My kingdom come. And maybe that's how you've lived your whole life. I know it still happens in my life, in my, in my heart, and it, it, I don't know if it'll ever go away until, until Christ returns, but, but perhaps you've lived your whole life that way. Maybe, that's, maybe your whole life has been structured around your kingdom, building your kingdom. And maybe you've seen the disaster around you because of that. Maybe you've seen the, the, the toll that that's taken on the relationships around you. Maybe some of the relational problems in your life right now, perhaps some of that is because you're living for your preferences, your desires, what you want for your kingdom. And, it's, and you're not centering around the kingdom of God and what, he, what His will is for you. We were created to live in and for another kingdom. And Jesus offers not just His kingdom, but He offers Himself to you and every one of us here today. He can forgive all your sins. He can quiet all of your fears. And let the Holy Spirit turn your heart's song from My kingdom come to Thy kingdom come. And then rest. I invite you to do that and then rest. Enter into the kingdom of heaven today. Enter into his heavenly rest. Rest as Christ rules on the throne of your heart. Rest with your load of guilt finally taken off and forgiven. This is the good news of Jesus' kingdom. Repent and believe in his gospel today for the kingdom of heaven is so near. Jesus could come back today. 
He could come back today and we need to be prepared for it. It will confront every single one of us. We need to be prepared through faith and repentance in Christ. This brings us to the last word in your kingdom come. The kingdom of God has come and it is coming. It's this already but not yet confusing reality. (laughs) It is here and yet it is not here in all of its fullness. There's just so much to be said here about how we as a church uh, can help, help, help advance the kingdom of God today. But that's not going to be my focus right now. My focus is on prayer. On, 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 on how, when, and how, and when, we, how when we pray, your kingdom come. What does that mean? When we're praying, your kingdom come, we're praying for help to do the work of the ministry. When we pray your kingdom come, we aren't shouldering anymore all the load of advancing God's kingdom, of the, the whole load of everything that the church is called to do uh, in the different ways that we serve our church and our communities. And when we think about it, we, we can't advance God's kingdom one inch, right, without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the various ways that we serve here at Trinity and in our community, both formally and informally, let us pray and then let us rest in the truth that is the Holy Spirit who advances the kingdom of God. He brings about spiritual life and we cannot do this without Him. So let so praying your kingdom come, it's a, it's a prayer of rest. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a handing over to the Lord of saying, Lord, I've... I'm, I'm, I'm discipling this person and it's weighing on me. This is really hard. Will I may ever make any impact? Or, or you know, I'm leading this ministry and, 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 and it's just weighing on me. Will I ever make an impact? And you're able to just rest and cast on the Lord and say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Your will be done. May your spirit have its work and its power, his power in me and in this ministry. The kingdom of God is here, but it is not here yet in all of its glory. And sometimes we get so caught up in all the details of everything our church needs today that we forget this is all all temporary. The kingdom of glory is coming soon. Jesus, the King of Kings, is returning soon. I I don't know, I'm, I'm still a young man, and I think as life goes on and you just experience more and more of the hardships and trials and disappointments and temptations of life, and, and, and you see your loved ones too enduring so much pain and, and dying and going to, going to heaven. Just as you just keep living in this world, you just I, I think I think you just begin to more and more just pray for the Lord's return. You just begin to want it more, and and you, and you become more dissatisfied uh, with what the world's trying to sell you. So may God wean each of us off of our love for the world, so that we may more heartily pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me end now by praying part of the Heidelberg Catechism on this petition for God's kingdom to come. So let's all pray. O Lord, so govern us by your word and spirit that we submit ourselves to you always more and more. Preserve and increase your church Destroy the works of the devil, every power that exalts itself against you, and all wicked devices formed against your holy word, until the fullness of your kingdom come, wherein you shall be all in all. 
Amen.